Welcome to the Dunker Punks podcast. Have you seen the Me Too posts in the last week or so? Or perhaps I should say, how many have you seen? Center your thoughts on your friends and your own experiences as you listen to Dunker Punks Thinking Music by Jacob Krauss. Try 
Welcome back to the Dunker Punks podcast. I'm Nancy Fitzgerald, one of your co-hosts. The multitude of Me Too posts, hashtag Me Too, on social media recently are calling our nation and perhaps beyond to examine the threat of sexual violence that hangs over so many people. While women are often identified as the victims of sexual violence, the threat is not limited to women, as our conversation partners will explore. So without any delay, I invite you into this timely and very sensitive topic as we drop into a conversation with Emmy Gehring, a Dunker Punks team member and student at McPherson College, and Jen Jensen, Director of Spiritual Life and Service at the college, as they consider important questions and the beginning of some answers to the prevalence of sexual violence in our world. And having this conversation that we acknowledge that it's not just um, male on female, the male on female spectrum that we're talking about. We're talking about, I mean, this doesn't just happen to females by males. It happens to females. It happens to males. It happens, um, you know, women on women, men on men, um, women on men and men on women. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that. And I think it's important to acknowledge that if we're just now able to have this conversation um, and be so open about um, the male-on-female spectrum of rape and sexual abuse and sexism, then how long is it going to take us for it to be open and honest about male-on-male um, -male or female-on-male? -male? I mean... Imagine if a male declined a female advances and then later in the locker room he wanted to tell his buddy about it and, and talk about it in confidence and how many males in that locker room would be like, oh, dude, come on. She just wanted to get some, you know, like, come on, man, why didn't you, why didn't you whatever, and, you know. But I think it's important that we acknowledge that it's not just women and acknowledge that if it's taken us this long to come out and talk about it as openly as we are, um, in this way, you know, how long is it going to be for us to continue the conversation in other ways as well? I just, no, it's okay, but I just talked, I just watched, um, on Netflix right now, they, the documentary, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Um, she was a, um, queen back in the 60s and 70s, and, um, they ruled her death a suicide, um, and yet, they think that she was murdered and, um, you know, part of the problem with this. And then, you know, in this documentary, then, um, the, the person that was investigating this, um, also talked about how she left her previous job because of, um, because she was raped in the workplace and, um, had to leave. And, um, she was also a transgendered person, but how, I mean, so I just, it's important to acknowledge that it's not just male on female. It's all genders. It's the entire spectrum of genders, and it's the entire spectrum of sexism and rape, and none of it is okay. And so another thing that I, I always think about is, so there can be a difference between sexual violence and rape. So sexual violence is, is done through, like, a violent act of power. and mm -hmm. has less so to do with, like, the sex itself or the sexual act itself and more to do with violence and just the power dynamics of that. 
And so I think it's really interesting, especially as we're a peace church, um, to be kind of addressing that sort of violence. And I think that's super important to talk about. And I think, you know, if we're here to love one another and take care of each other, why does that stop at sexual violence? Why should that stop at sexual violence? Mm -hmm. And so I think, like, it's something like you were talking about. We're so quick to talk about hurricanes and that kind of stuff. But why, when we're having, you know, these, um, like, allegations for sexual assault, why is that not something we bring up, Mm -hmm. bring to the pews, you know? And I think that's something that a lot of people in the congregations carry on their hearts um, through experiences or any of that kind of stuff. And so I think it's important to have that as an open space to be able to talk about it. I think it's also important for um, people that are close to someone who it's happened to to also have the space to be able to talk about it. Because even um, caretakers of somebody or some, you know, that have, you know, known somebody that it's happened to, um, I mean, that can come with a lot of um, issues as well. Prevention-wise, a lot of it also relates to just what a woman should not do, you know, what a woman should do, like, carrying this, that's, that's it. And why are we not teaching at a level of, like, hey, respect, respect anyone and not violate or sexually harass them. Well, I guarantee you that my eight-year-old knows that if he touches somebody and they say no, that that is against the law. And I have very clear conversations with him that you are not allowed to touch somebody else in any way without their permission, and it is against the law, and you can be arrested for it. And those are the conversations we need to be having, not with our little girls saying, "Here's," or our little boys, see, there we go again. And, you know, it's going back to that whole thing of it's always male versus female, but we need to be having the conversation too. And I do have a conversation with him as well that, you know, you also have the right to say no. And no does mean no, and that's it, period. There's nothing else beyond that. And it also is interesting, we were having the conversation about you don't have to even, you shouldn't have to say no. That You know, it's interesting, like, if you're being catcalled and you don't respond, like, you're the rude one. Like, oh, don't be so rude, you know, just say hi. Like, it's, you know, the person who's being catcalled a responsibility to respond, you know, and um, I think it's interesting that we should, you know, also be having the conversation that you can um, ignore or in whatever form that you decline the invitation, whatever invitation is being put out there and whatever form you decline it, that means no. While you can say the words, there are other ways to decline the invitation that also mean no. And those should be respected as well. Yeah, of course. And I, I think it's important to understand, and I don't know if this is something that some people necessarily aren't understanding, it's just what people who haven't had those experiences can kind of live at a point of privilege to not understand what that would mean. And so I think that's something that um, is, is something to think about. I heard I was reading a story about just this woman explaining to her guy friend why she gets nervous in dark alleys if, if there's someone, if there's a man walking behind her. And it's, 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 um, it's called rape anxiety is what they labeled it as. And she wasn't really getting it until he was walking in a dark alley behind a woman. And as he got closer to her and not even thinking about it, she started to walk a lot faster. And and that's something that he kind of understood what it feels like to be in that situation. And I feel like that's something a lot of times, like, 
we're taught to hold keys in between our fingers when we're walking to certain places. And I, it's sad to think that that's something that we should be so worried about is being assaulted in everyday situations. I just had that experience um, recently in Denver. We, there were two females and two males in the vehicle, and we ran out of gas in downtown Denver. We won't get into that whole situation and why we were able to run out of gas. We won't <laughs> talk about the driver. But there were two males and two females, and what it came down to is we ran out of gas. We were at the very end of the highway exit. Thankfully, we made it off the highway, and we got to the very end. And from then on, um, you know, we were like, okay, well, somebody has to go get gas. Let's call, you know, let's start walking to the gas station and somebody has to stay with the car because we weren't able to get the car off of the side of the, so somebody had to stay in the vehicle, right? Well, we had to make the decision for one female and one male to go and one female and one male to stay because there was absolutely no way that just the females could go get gas or just the females could stay for fear of what could happen in downtown Denver at night on our own. And um, it was really interesting. I happened to be one that stayed in the conversation that I got into with a guy, like, about how that's something he never has to think about. But he also happened to be um, black. And so we got into the conversation about what that looked like for him as a black male and me as a white female um, being in a vehicle in downtown Denver at night and what that could appear like. Um, and so it was a really interesting conversation from his point of view being black and from my point of view being female and, um, and you know, what we both, uh, you know, would have to have to think about. And again, I think that comes from a point of privilege as far as what we have to think about in certain situations and what you've experienced and what you've been told. Um, based on all that kind of stuff for um, someone who's a black male to be worried about um, walking in darkness and for a female. And I think that's, that's really hard that it, it kind of takes that to understand it, to have these experiences when I feel like we should probably be just having these conversations and people should take it at their word. This is kind of the question of, of what's, what's the church's role in this? And I think, I think the church should have some role in it. We're having, you know, all these, like, other conversations about other things, like our, um, you know, um, our Church of the Brethren annual statements. We have statements um, on a lot, lots of things. Like I said, we have some stuff on equality and domestic violence, but nothing on sexual violence. How are we having these conversations? How should we be having these conversations? How do we create an open space for everyone? And I... I think that's just really important that we, we begin to address it. And I feel like, especially the situation of the hashtag me too, when we're having all these, like people are showing that they have, they have experienced sexual assault and that there are all these people online showing it. And then there's so many other people who aren't necessarily doing that hashtag too. I think that's proving the point. This is important to talk about. And it's quite clear that, there are probably a lot of people in the congregation who, like I said, this is probably super heavy on their hearts. And so it's something we need to be able to have more open conversations about to be able to get anywhere with it. So I think also having these conversations, be able to talk, talk about it, takes away some of the power of the people doing sexual assault. I wonder if uh, like part of that, like not wanting to discuss it, like, 
in church. I wonder if like, I wonder if it goes back to like education and like not telling your kids, like as far as like me and my family, like I don't think we've really discussed that much. And like, as far as sexual education and everything, and just having like your whole like family there, like in the congregation, like, like whatever your kids who have the potential to like ask you about it later and like just create like, uh, awkward conversations for you. I, I wonder if that's, like, why they don't want to, like, discuss it. Well, and the more open we are to talking about sex and talking about sex in the church, because it's, I mean, it was a gift that God gave us. And if we're not open to even talking about um, sex in general, then how do we even broach the subject of sexual violence or sexual assault or what it means to say no when you're pressured or that kind of thing? And so I think it totally goes back to what um, he was saying about, you know, having the open conversations in families and having the open conversations um, in our churches and making it not a taboo subject. I mean, the media... TV shows. I mean, you can't even watch a family program on TV anymore without the commercials, um, you know, for whatever other show is coming on later to have two people making about making out about to get into bed together. And if it's so prevalent on TV, why is it not prevalent in our conversations that we're having with our children and, um, you know, with our friends in the appropriate ways? If we're not having the conversations in the right ways, then... Um, the, the conversations are going to happen no matter what. And so if we're not having the opportunity to have them in the right ways, then the conversations are going to happen in the wrong ways. And our children are going to learn the wrong ways about how sex happens, like what happened to you. Um, and, I mean, that leads us nowhere if we're not open to having the conversation in the first place. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and I feel like that also has to do with just how taboo it is, people being open or being okay with kind of reporting that sexual assault because there's still a lot of shame with someone being assaulted. And I think we, um, people aren't always open about talking about it because, you know, in the idea of like, if we see it as sex is bad before marriage, getting raped can be, is sex, can be sex. And so to have that be something, then equating that to, okay, well, then what happened is bad, and it's my fault. It's, it's, it's something that's hard. And so I feel like that can also stop people from reporting the sexual assault also. And I think that's something that these conversations are just really critical to have. It's also, um, I referred to the, um, the documentary I watched, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Tom, Marsha P. Johnson, sorry, um, but also in that, it was really interesting. Um, they were uh, along the same line when they were um, talking about the investigation into her death. They were also talking about um, current trials that are happening for, um, there was one in particular of a male who um, just totally assaulted um, a transgendered woman um, because he totally freaked out when um, they started to have sex and he realized that she was, um, that she had male genitalia. And so he beat her up um, so badly that she ended up um, dying. And so he was on trial for murder. 
Um, and his defense was, um, I forget what they called it. It was um, shock or something, some kind of defense. But for some reason, um, the defense was that it was okay for him to beat the crap out of her because he was shocked by what he found. Um, and that's just, to me, that's another form of, um, you know, sexual violence, um, violence in that nature that, and it's another form of somebody saying, well, it's okay because he didn't know. Uh, no, no, it's not okay. And no form of it is okay at all in any way, shape or form. And if we take a hard stance on that not being okay, I mean, we can't let somebody like that slip through the cracks just because he got off on, I can't remember, like, he only got, like, four or five years in prison for beating her to death because he was shocked that she had male genitalia. And if we, to me, that that all goes in, rolls into the same conversation that we're having, that we need to take a hard-line stance of no on that, just like we need to take a hard-line stance for no of any form of sexual violence, period. Again, you know, back to that, I think these are conversations we just need to be having in the church. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like... Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, for me, it kind of, it also can lead into the conversation of, um, so let's say, so this, uh, the male that got off um, with just a few years um, in prison because he beat to death um, this transgender woman, um, let's think about that for a minute. What would the church think about that? It's not okay because he killed her, right? But does the stance change because some churches believe it's not okay to be transgendered? Does that change the opinion then of the church? And how does that change, um, I mean, does that make male-on-male rape or female-on-female rape? any less okay or more acceptable because, you know, some churches believe that homosexuality is not okay or um, not acceptable. And so at what point do those, um, those social issues enter into the conversation when we're having a conversation about rape and sexual violence and any form of sexism? Um, and what would the church say about, you know, let's just this case, for example, is it okay for him to be shocked and to respond in that way? Does that change the opinion of the church or of anybody? Because, um, oh, no, it's okay. He was shocked. You know, it's okay. it was just his natural response. Well, I can be shocked by any kind of a situation, but it's never okay for me to respond with violence. I can be shocked by you know, somebody scaring the crap out of me just passing in the hallway, but it's not okay for me to respond to them by punching them because I, because they scared me so badly. Just, you know, um, none of it's okay. Yeah. I, I think these are questions we need to just be asking, you know, how, how would the church see this? How, how should the church see this? And in, in the Dunker Punk podcast, um, in the last few episodes too, we've been kind of talking about how do we, how do we kind of reform parts of the church and how do we kind of change the way we see things? Um, a few episodes ago, we talked about, you know, how are young, young adults seen in the church? And so I think there's a lot of different um, parts 
of the church we need to be talking about and we need to be rethinking. We need to be rethinking how we're going about talking about sexual assault. And like I said earlier, I think this new teaching is really bringing all that service even more so than before. And I think if this is something on the hearts of a lot of people, how do we bring it up? You know, so, so how do listeners kind of consider this and, and bring this up in their churches? So, yeah, thanks for, for chatting with me. Absolutely. <laughs> the conversation weighs heavy on me. What about you? Even more so because I pastor a church and I'm challenged to consider how would we begin a conversation on sexual violence. I think it begins with those who have had to deal with violence firsthand. A friend of mine joined in the hashtag MeToo posting that began after Harvey Weinstein was accused and fired from the Weinstein Company, and her post said she didn't know anyone who had not been a victim of some kind of sexual assault. Wow. That means many, if not most of you listeners, can relate. And if not you, then you do know someone dear who can say, me too. Many of us know those who experience so much trauma and fear that they told no one for years and even then would not and could not confront their attacker. With this much prevalence, how can we not talk about it as a matter of faith? If we can't create a safe climate to share, comfort, confront, and seek answers at the holy places of God's people, then where can we go? The story in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus told keeps coming to me as I think about all the victims of assault. Typically, folks from Brethren and Mennonite backgrounds love this story. The one who judges humanity at the end of the world, in Jesus' words, is a king who puts some on his left and some on his right. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And those on his right questioned this positive judgment by saying, Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of these least of these siblings of mine, you have done it for me. Since most Anabaptists put service to others as a priority for their faith, they can smile at such a story. Like Mother Teresa, as she wiped the wounds of India's poorest and sick, said she could continue day after day, because each day, she said, I wipe the sores of Christ. But what if what we have done to the least of these is not offer help but harm? Will not Jesus be the one to say, me too?
Matthew 25, 31-46 is where you can find the whole story. I invite you to read it if you are one who centers their life around the scriptures that Jesus told and taught. And our challenge this episode is to listen to some of the many hashtag me too stories. If you have a friend with a story, ask them to tell it to you, maybe with another trusted friend. And tell your story to someone you trust. When we are more comfortable talking about sexual assault and the pain and the damage it causes us, we will have taken the first step toward having those conversation in trusted communities of Christ's body. You know, the one whose body was assaulted and humiliated prior to death? Never forget that God chose to come near to us in the very human person of Jesus. If we too can embrace the pain, I am sure that His Spirit will lead us into conversations that will make a difference. This is how we follow the Jesus way, Dunker Punks. May God watch over you. May God inspire your conversations with courage. And God will heal the hurt of your heart as you turn the evil done to you and to Christ into the vehicle for change in this land and in our churches. Amen. Dunker Punks podcast is a team effort of contributors who work hard as volunteers to bring you the conversations that matter to people of faith. They don't hide and they step out with the courage of the good news to share. I'm your co-host, Pastor Nancy Fitzgerald, along with host Emmett Eldred, who will be with you the next episode. Emmy Gehring is our producer. Jenna Walner is our advancement coordinator. Jacob Krauss edited this episode and created and performed our music. Suzanne Lay is our executive producer, and our sponsor is the Arlington Church of the Brethren. The next episode on Earth Peace returns with one of their pertinent episodes, this one on creativity in Cincinnati. <music>